Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. You're listening to the Fish Untamed podcast, your home for fly fishing in the backcountry. All right, welcome to episode number 37 of the Fish Untamed podcast. Now, if you listened to the last episode, you heard me talk with Steve Angel from the Traditional Outdoors podcast. And this week, I'm actually talking to his co-host, Nick View. And if you've listened to their podcast before, you know that their chemistry works out pretty well. But if you have not listened to their podcast, you might be surprised after hearing Steve uh, and my conversation with him versus my conversation with Nick today, because they're two very different people. And um, naturally, we had two very different conversations. But Nick is a really fun guy, really easy to talk to. So I'll go ahead and cut it off here and just hop right over to my conversation with him. I am sitting down today with Nick View, also from the Traditional Outdoors podcast, which um, I was talking with Steve last week. So how are you doing tonight, Nick? I'm doing really well, and I'm stoked to be on your show, Katie. It was fun to have you on our show, and I'm happy to be on yours. Yeah, I know we uh, we almost ended up talking last week. Steve almost had to uh, back out at the last minute, but then he was like, you know what, you should you should reach out to Nick. I think he'd be a good guest. And I was like, yeah, I don't know why I didn't you know, think to just have you both on. So um, it's good to talk to you guys both uh, kind of one after the other. Yeah, yeah, and we both kind of bring something different to it too. So Steve yeah. and I are, are an interesting combination um, just in generations and in – you know, we're just, we're, we're kind of a cool friendship, but just kind of developed, especially being states away and stuff like that. So it's, uh, it's, we kind of have a cool and dynamic that way, knowing each other a long time. Yeah. How but did you guys meet? We met on Twitter. Really? It's really, yes. Like, so <laughs> there was a guess. while before Twitter was an absolute cesspool. Like we used to, it was a place where a lot of hunter hunters and fishermen and outdoorsmen men and women in general got together and just kind of found each other. 
And, um, you know, that was before Facebook Messenger. So it was kind of like, you know, for a while we were just, we had this hunt chat. It was just hashtag hunt chat and somebody hosted it every week. I wish I remember who that guy's name was, but um, Steve would get on that and I would get on that. And and a lot of people kind of came from that. In fact, one of my best friends, um, John Buchin, who's the president of the Michigan Longbow Association, and I served with him there. And he he was I met him on Twitter, too, and he lives in Kalamazoo. He's not even 45 minutes away from me. We, we hunt together all the time, and I had never met him prior to Twitter. So there was a whole bunch of us that met on Twitter on this hunt chat thing, and we kind of just started DMing each other. And um, I wanted to I, – I had a blog going called Life and Longbows. I still do, and Steve had Simply Traditional. And – Steve's a, a computer guy, and I really didn't know much about web hosting or anything like that. So I was like, hey, you know, I I got to get off. At, <laughs> I wanted to start a blog, and basically one of the guys that worked for my web team said, well, you can jump into a server with us and, uh, you know, just split the cost or whatever. And it was ridiculously cheap. It was like $5 a year or something like that. But I didn't have control over anything, and it was like their server. And I'm like, well, what if this person just shuts it down? And he goes, well, you're just kind of out of luck then. So I was like, okay, well, I need to get out of this. And I talked to Steve about it, and he helped me through kind of making Life in Longbows its own sustain, self-sustaining thing. And and um, we were both writing. We've, we've always written, and I helped Steve out with some writing early on. And then I started contributing some things to Simply Traditional. Then I became like a Simply Traditional pro, pro field staff guy. Um it was just a, just a thing. And, and we kind of, I went down to visit him a couple times with our mutual friend, Tom, and, you know, we just became friends. Um, but yeah, I remember the first time I hunted with him, that was the first time I'd ever met him in person. So that's, that's kind of funny. I'm just, you know, I know this is a generalization, but just thinking of kind of the older who you'd expect to be the, the mentor in maybe like the outdoor world in Steve, but instead he's the one helping you with your website. <laughs> it's kind of the reverse roles of what you'd expect. Yeah. And Steve, like I, I never really envisioned Steve as being older when we first met. I kind of just, you know, you don't really ask, like, you know, you're just kind of yeah. one of those. I thought, and then when I first talked to Steve, I thought he was ancient because he's got that, <laughs> like, he's got like that, like Southern drawl, he does, you know, yeah. and, and he sounds like an old soul, like older than he is. And I was like, man, how old are you? And like, you know, we got to talk. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I don't think he, I don't think he ever really thought of me as being young either. Um, and there were a few other people on there that well, we were all different age groups and it was, it really didn't matter. So when I first met Steve and found out, you know, he was quite a bit older than me, not, not way, way older than me, but older brother, older, you know, like kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um, it was, uh. It was just interesting. Like people always ask me, like, well, how'd you end up being really good friends with that guy? He lives in Georgia and he's, you know, pretty, you know, a lot older than you are. And I'm like, well, my friends tend to be older anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Like even with the MLA, you know, the Longbow Association, a lot of that audience and the and the Longbow audience, when I got into it, they, that was an aging demographic anyway. Mm-hmm. So I've used to, I'm used to being around people, you know, that are older than me and always being the young guy. So. You now, know, did Steve not, know that you thought he was ancient? <laughs> oh, he! I make fun of him all okay. the time about that. I give him all kinds of hell. He, he's, yeah. It, I mean, I'm 38, so it's not like I, <laughs> you know, I'm like 25 or something like that. It, and, you know, when I met him, you know, I was 28, 29 years old. So, you know, it, uh, it's really not a big deal. But I like to make fun of him for being old. He goes, "Well, how old do you think I am?" One day he asked me, and I just bricked it. 
<laughs> but anyway, enough about Steve being old, I guess. He's going to hear this and be like, yeah, I hope he, he had to get into that. Oh, he will. <laughs> yeah, uh, then we spent the majority of the episode just talking about how old we thought you were. <laughs> yeah. And that's funny, though, how you don't really know, like, when you just meet somebody's online. And again, this was Twitter. This was more ambiguous. This yeah. wasn't just, like, Facebook where you, like, know what you're getting into. And then once we – and the funny thing about Twitter, to wrap that up, like – when Facebook Messenger became a thing and Facebook communities came out and kind of de- and kind of just like destroyed the forum, you know, because everybody was on forums and stuff before that, like mm-hmm. people stopped all the people who were on Twitter. Twitter got super noisy, like all Twitter was about was pushing content out and not not communicating anymore. And we kind of got over that and everybody that was on Twitter kind of left Twitter and went to Facebook before Facebook got ridiculous. And, you know, that that's kind of it was kind of weird. And I've seen some people gravitate back. I've tried Twitter a few times again, and I used to love Twitter. That was my social media. That was my thing. Um, And then I discovered Instagram and like, you know what? I really just like I like to look at pictures. So I'm like, I like Instagram. Like I, I don't really do much on, you know, Twitter. And I only post on Facebook occasionally. Um, not that this is your social media podcast, but it, Twitter, Twitter used to be like this this place where you know, hunter, hunters and gatherers and fisher people, fishermen, fish, fisherwomen all got together and like met and yeah. talked every night, like every night. I, I used to spend like two, three night, two, three hours at night on Twitter, just multitasking, you know, watching TV, hanging out and just talking to these people. And it's funny how that one day that just kind of died. Everybody was like, well, we're tired of this. And, and then we all moved over to something else. Um, yeah. And it, what I've found is that I feel like most of the people that I engage with, on social media are it's like an instagram crowd that's where the majority of the people that i i follow i mean instagrams besides go wild which is still a pretty small community um and that's outdoor specific but uh as for like the the big ones like twitter facebook instagram um that instagram's the only one i'm on and i i like it because i like seeing people's pictures and it seems to be one that everyone uses which is great but it's not very good for discourse and no. i i really wish there were you know like i i'm not on twitter uh, but it sounds like what it was back when you met Steve on it is like what I'm kind of wanting is almost more of just like straight up forum. Um, I, I kind of wish there were more forums that were, um, you know, people were active on them and could write eloquently. And, you know, it's just there's there's a lot of forums where you go on and you're like, oh, this is a topic I'm interested in. But it was posted 10 years ago and, you know, had three replies and Instagram's just mm-hmm. not great for that. Yeah, it's it's not at all. And I I still think it's funny that Instagram, like you can't even you have to have like a third party application just to repost like it's just it's and then you can't post the links and stuff. And, you know, you have to do the link in bio and all these workarounds and, and yeah. stuff like that. And then they tra- they keep trying to push stories and then Facebook bought it and they were trying to make Facebook stories and all this stuff. And it's kind of like. I, I, you know, I've talked to a few other people even outside of that who were like, man, I miss forums. Forums were like you had like an identity and there was still a little bit of mystery. And since they weren't like since they were kind of clunky, you had to think more of what you had to say before you got on there and just spewed a bunch of terrible grammar, you know, drivel and then just flaming people like, you know, you had to think about it. And then your reputation was on the line because it stayed there. It didn't die immediately. Like Facebook, just everything gets buried, you know, or right. Twitter, everything gets buried. Um, and you're not and pushing your own content. It's it's not about no. like creating your own image because you're just responding to um, 
basically texts that other people have put out. So it's not, you're, it, there's not that weird, like, mm. you're engaging with people while also trying to, like, push this narrative about yourself that may or may not be real. It, it's just, it, the forms oh, don't totally. have that, like, fake aspect to them. They're just no, kind they of don't. people talking. They take more work to get invested. Like, people don't really, if you're going to contribute, people expect that you're going to contribute and know what you're talking about in a forum. Um, the problem with forums is, like, you know, it, once they pick up steam, you know, they start getting, they either start going too fast or on the opposite, they start going way too slow. They start to die and people find other things. And then you get the whole crowd where like, you know, I remember people all the time in the traditional bow hunter forums and stuff, and they still exist. People still use them. Um, but people used to get really mad when people would ask the same questions over and over again and say, oh, check the stickies. And I'd be like, look, if you guys don't let people watch, like, ask the same questions over and over and over this is not we're just not going to have the content to keep yeah. this going i mean by you that know? logic it's just like well then just google it you know like exactly the whole, the whole point is that i want to have it's it's because it's more than just i want my question answered it's also like i want to talk to people about my questions it's it's rarely asking like a yes or no question you want to discuss with people um you want to hear people's answers to your specific post and then and then give them also personalized responses back to their responses to you. Um, mm -hmm. And just looking through the the stickies for your question. It's like, well, that by that point, I can just Google it and hope that yeah, that pops up. But it's not the totally. same. Totally. There's not that yeah. engagement. And there was more of a, I guess there was a cost of entry with a, with a forum. Like if you got on there, you know, it, it, it did take a little bit more work to find a topic and to, to find it again and, and stuff like that. And you know, I, I think the reason why I just quit being on forums, you know, when Facebook communities came out, I pretty much stopped being on forums because I was like, OK, well, I can't keep up here and I can't get keep up here. And then ooh, Facebook's got notifications and I can message people and I get notifications for the message and it's on my phone and all this other stuff. And I was like, this is awesome. And then now it's to the point where it's like overload, you know, because everything's got a notification. You're like, man, I really, it'd really be cool if we could just go back to forums and yeah. <laughs> I could check a topic like, you know, a couple times a week and it wouldn't be so, so buried where I couldn't find it again. And uh, there's like no healthy medium. I remember Reddit tried to be that healthy medium. And then I Reddit was just became about to bring up Reddit. <laughs> Reddit became an, ab an absolute, because all the people who were into social media that were all about the you know, basically arguing all the time, you know, just thought, oh, look, I can get the ambiguity back that I had when I was in the forums, but I can also move it faster, like on Reddit and mm -hmm. with Reddit. So I can just, it's just a total garbage fire. Like, it's just, you know, I can, I can do anything I want on. It's like the wild west. So, you know, I was on that for a little while and I was like, I can't do this anymore. This is insane. Like I, you know, at least, at least with Facebook and like stuff like that and Instagram, people are really good about, you kind of know who you're talking to, right? It's not total, like you're not hiding behind a call sign. You're showing a lot of your life. So it's not like you can just, you know, pretend to be whoever, Right. Like people pretty much know who you are if they're following you, which is why another reason why I really like Instagram. But so yeah, like you said, though, it's not really a connection thing. It's more like, OK, let's exchange information and DM and then let's move to a different platform. Yeah. You know? And like like you said, I mean, you might be engaging with someone in the comments, but then they click on you and now they see your whole thing, too, which is which is kind of nice in a in a way, because you can't just hide behind an anonymous name. Like if you're calling people out for something and then they can go back and check to see if you've ever done that in your pictures, like basically you could be called out for being a hypocrite. Whereas in a forum, um, unless they happen to find a reply that you you left a long time ago, um, you could you could change who you are 
in every single engagement you know you you participate in in a forum mm-hmm. um whereas instagram it's not really the case because you also have this kind of public history of yourself just out for display but I, like i i i'm still on reddit um but my one big complaint like specifically for fly fishing because i'm i follow the the fly fishing subreddit and my my big complaint is that I want to go on there and treat it like a forum where I want to go on and ask questions and answer people's questions. Um, and then basically that's it. But the, the fly fishing subreddit is, I feel like 80% just people sharing pictures of the trout they've caught, which is mm-hmm. great. But I'm like, this is, this is for Instagram. This is like where this kind of content belongs, where it's just you sharing a picture being like, look at this rainbow, which is great. You know, I, I definitely want people to, you know, be excited about their catches and want to share them. But I don't really care to go to Reddit, which is a basically a forum website, and just see pictures of people's trout with no sort of questions or commentary or anything about it. It's just like, look at this fish. And I'm like, this just isn't the right place for this. And so I I find myself not wanting to engage and like actually go through and find people's questions. That I, like, I, I want to go on and engage with people and answer questions they have, but I just don't want to sift through, you know, 10 pictures of stalker rainbows to go find that question that someone is genuinely like trying to get into fly fishing and really wants to know what rod to get. Like, I'm not going to go look for that. Mm-hmm. And it's funny on like Instagram too. Um, you know, I follow quite a few hashtags for fly fishing on Instagram and, and, uh, you can only look like, yeah, I wish people would talk more about what that was, what the, what the fish was actually about like you know right. what they did you know usually it is like you said it's just here's a brookie here's a rainbow here's this you know and it's every day yeah and you're just like oh here's my rod and reel you know <laughs> this is a great colorful shot of my rod and reel on this you know that's awesome i love to look at that stuff but the only thing i miss with it is that yeah you don't get that story behind it you know i like i want to know whoa hey well you know i want to know a little bit more about this i don't I mean, that's great you know other than the you really ought to take that fish out of the water or really stop taking that fish out of the water and up in the air. You're going to kill it kind of stuff because that happens all the time too. Oh you God, always get that one person. <laughs> there's someone in particular I'm thinking of, and I'm, I'm not going to name any names, but um, I've seen a couple of fish held up recently that I'm like, that fish is dead. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> You're like, like, you can't just reach out and be like, hey, you know, loving the content, but just want to let you know that the last three fish you've held up didn't make it. <laughs> exactly you're like i hope I you ate bring that. that up i'm like you might as well eat that because it's it's not gonna make <laughs> right. i know and it's the same thing too where like where they you know people beach these huge fish and i'm just like wow that thing is just okay it took you way too long like like when i catch something i'm so freaked out about it like i know it's gonna happen you know sometimes it's just gonna happen yeah and i but man i like you know because you're stumbling to get your phone like there's not a good way to do it like you're stumbling to get your phone out and you don't want to drop your phone. You're doing this, this, and this. And like, I've tried a bunch of different ways to do it. And you know, that's fine. Finally, I'm like, at first I didn't use in that. And I was like, uh, I just, you know, I'd land the fish. My buddy was like, you don't need a net. You just land it, land it right. You know, bring it up to you and get, <laughs> you know, keep your ride, keep the line tight and land it. You don't need a net. And I'm like, yeah, but if I want to take a picture of it, you know, like I'm not coordinated enough to like get my phone, keep the rod up. I'm six foot four. So if I'm keeping my rod way up in the air, you know, it's just looks, it's stupid. Like it just feels all wrong. And, you know, I either the fish gets off or I drop the fish or I almost drop my phone or all this. Like finally, I'm like, you know what? If I'm going to do this myself, because no one's usually around when I fish, then I, at least if I have a net, I can net the fish, keep it in the water, you know, take a quick shot of it or whatever I need to do and then let it go. And it's yeah. that easy. You know. I'm in the same boat. I uh, probably 
nine out of ten times I go fishing, I'm, I'm by myself. And that, that leads to nine out of ten of my fish photos are just my hand holding a fish in the water, like, right in front of me. Like, I'm not in them. It's just my hand, uh-huh. you know, putting the Same. fish back. And I'm like, I know people who fish alone and they carry, you know, a nice camera and a tripod and set it up on shore um, so the camera's already on them. And I'm like, I just don't have that that drive to, to get good photos. And so all my photos just end up me be, being, like, an awkward angle of my hand holding a fish in the water i know you try to get all creative with it and nice with it and like yeah there's like two shots i can take and one's just like the river with like put my rod in it for context and then there's the just my hand holding a fish thing and and or now i just gotta have a bunch of fish in that and i i would Mm -hmm. love to figure that like i i was telling steve one day i'm like you know i really like to start um you know just like videotaping it you know, using a, you know, GoPro or something like that. And mm-hmm. I, I did end up getting a chest mounted one and stuff, but it's just such a pain. Like when I go fish, like, I'm like, what am I doing this for? Am I doing this right. for content or exactly. am I doing this for, because I want to fish and I don't get to go out and fish enough with two kids at home to be in, especially with everything going on now. Um, like I don't have, if I'm going to go out I'm not going to fiddle with a camera and everything else. And just, I just want to go fish and enjoy it. Where if you feel, if you're doing it for content constantly, it's just like, this is just becoming like, you know, like what, what is my, what is my, my goal here at the end of the day? And my goal is not to share tons of content. So it's kind of like, okay, one thing, like I, I like to write and stuff, but I don't need to be producing content constantly. It's, uh. It's something I do at work. I mean, I'm a multimedia coordinator at a university. So, I mean, that's all I do is, is produce content all the time and work with content. And, and I'm like, man, I want all this outdoor stuff to be simple. I've always been about that. And, you know, that's kind of just like, it just puts a little bit too much responsibility, a little bit too much pressure, a little bit too much. It feels like a job when you're doing that all the time. Yeah, because you're constantly um, looking around for like, what can I take a picture of? And I've gone through the same the same kind of progression of really really wanting to get better photos and like try to try to make something work by tripods or something and I'm like you know what at the end of the day I most of the pictures I'm taking are just to document like if I got a nice fish I, I want to remember that I caught it and I want to see what totally. it like and so it's like it, yeah I can see that in the net and I'll just take a picture of it in the net or holding it in, in the water in one of my hands like yeah yeah exactly and I don't know if you're into you know fly fishing literature or not but I love the old stuff um you know a lot of people you know know Traver and things like that and when you read uh you know even some of the old like Charles K Fox and things like that and and Gord McQuarrie and I love all those old literature I, lo- I love to write and I love all those old literature outdoors books outdoor literature is like my thing and you know they didn't have all that then so you had to read about it and they paint such vivid beautiful pictures that it's like I don't need to see it now I see so much that I'm kind of just like I'd rather read about it I'm like even going back further cuz like then I can imagine what it looks like rather than here's a fish I agree yeah. completely. I mean, it's almost mm-hmm. like you're jaded to it. Like like you said, you just see picture after picture of like, here's a brookie, here's a rainbow, here's a brown. And it's like, there comes a point where you see it and you just <laughs> don't even look at it anymore because you're like, yes, I know what a rainbow trout looks like. Like they all, well, they all come and, and, then, and then you're like, and why do they always look so much better than mine? Like, right? how come every time? <laughs> I'm like, why does the scenery and everybody's stuff look way better than mine? Because this they're looks trying so to get amb- good photos. And, and exactly. Not. It's like I'm taking it with a flip phone or something like that. And I've got some old like, you know, low budget lo-fi thing going on and i'm like everybody else has these big fish and like these beautiful rainbows and browns and brookies and salmon and all this stuff and i'm just like 
struggling just to take a decent photo with my camera with my with my phone you know and I'm like I can't compete with that anyway so I'm not (laughs) sure why I'm trying so now I just kind of just you know I I kind of do it just to show hey I'm out doing this you know and just to have it on record because actually I almost I almost treat Instagram like a photo album sometimes because I got you know I can go back like if I'm writing or something I can go back and remember that day and be like oh yeah that's when I caught oh it was this day not this day and then it's almost like making a journal entry, you know, it's more selfish than it is anything else. Yeah, I've had the same experience because if you're looking for a photo just in your your photo roll or whatever on your phone, it's like you have to compete with, okay, I took 30 pictures of my dog yesterday eating the biscuit I gave her. So now I have to sift back through <laughs> all those. But on, but on uh, social media, you're like, okay, well, I probably just posted the highlights of, of fishing. So I don't have to go back that far yeah, to find what like, I'm looking for. <laughs> I caught like, you know, go out and I had a really good bass trip this year a couple really good bass bass trip with smallmouths and things like you know smallmouth i love smallmouth fishing um on the swing with streamers i absolutely love it and there's a couple places to go here um the flat river is really good for it and uh yeah it uh the <laughs> it's like you know what i have a good day because my phone's got like I, you know if i catch 20 smallmouth and i have 20 pictures on my phone. i'm like i really need to take a picture of every single smallmouth that i caught because i'm just like flipping through it i'm like did i go into auto on my camera what did i do here or did i just they all look like the same fish over and over and over yep. again i don't feel why i felt like i had to take a picture of every single one but you know when i was growing up a successful trip fishing when we were bait casting and stuff like that was you brought a bucket of bluegills or whatever home or, and, and it was kind of like proof that, Hey, I caught something. So now if, with catch and release, if I, if I feel like I don't get a picture, I didn't do anything. <laughs> I'm like, I had to get something, you know, I can't just enjoy it. <laughs> I feel the same way. And like, I, I grew up fishing almost exclusively for smallmouths too. And I would like, as a kid, I would, I'd venture away from, uh, like we had a cottage on a river. And so I'd, I'd go out there and then just go up and down the river. And I was the same way where I, w- I never really kept any of the smallmouths, but I would have to bring them back to show my dad that I caught them and get a picture of them. And I would sometimes bring them back like half a mile. Like I just, I just like drag mm-hmm. them through the water and walk back. Cause I'm like, I will not <laughs> let this opportunity go to waste to show someone that I caught a fish. <laughs> oh, exactly. And it's funny because the first time I went fishing, my wife was like, fly fishing she's like well did you get anything did you bring it home i'm like that's not really what you do or my you know her dad asked me that my father-in-law asked me that he's like well did you bring any home to, to cook up and i'm like no and he's like well why not i'm like because fly fishing you catch and release so i mean that's what the bulk of everybody does because they want to catch him again the whole point's catching it it's the whole you know it's not necessarily eating it not that i'm against it but you know I, he didn't like get it i was like <laughs> you know, cause he's from, he's not really an outdoors person. And he said, well, growing up, if you caught anything, like that was dinner, you know? And I'm like, yeah, well, that's not really why I'm in it. I mean, I, I didn't really like fish growing up to eat. I, I, I like it now, but I mean, I don't, I don't think I, I think the last time I had fish was I finally like ate something. Um, I went this summer, I went with my dad to, to fish walleye. He's been fishing walleye all his life and I'd never went with him. Like fishing just wasn't my thing. It was, I was just too boring. Um, back then I funny. I don't think it's boring now. I think it's one of the most exciting things you can do, but then it was really boring. And my dad would stand for hours down when the walleye were in and the salmon were running and stuff like that and catch it. We finally, you know, my dad likes to go out and catch a walleye, bring it home and cook it. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's what we did. And, and, you know, 
it's hard to pass up, you know, Parmesan encrusted walleye, your grilled walleye, you know, stuff like that. I mean, it's just, it's so good, but I think that's the first time I actually ate a fish that I caught in probably over a decade, maybe 20 years. So, yeah. Well, it's yeah. also weird because there's almost like a hierarchy of like what you eat. So like I've, I've been getting more into keeping fish, but I always seem to find an excuse why I should let this one go, you know, like. I'll go mm-hmm. out and be like, okay, I'd, I'd like to keep some fish today. I want some, I want some fish for dinner. And then go out and catch like a cutthroat. And I'm like, well, you know, this is a native fish. It's it's our state fish. I really should let this one go. But maybe next one and I'll catch that one and be like, yeah, but this one's got really nice spots. <laughs> you know? and, oh, yeah. I have, a re- I have a really hard time with that. Yeah, so yeah. I'm like, I just want to catch like a dozen stalker rainbows so I can keep those and then and then appreciate the, the beauty and the rest of them. But I always come back with fewer than I intend to keep because I always find some reason why this one needs to live. Mm-hmm. And we have a lot of, um, a lot of the rivers I fish, you know, have a lot of, you know, we have some wild trout, but a lot of them are plants. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's, they're probably ain't going to make it anyway. Right. <laughs> but it, to be honest, but I mean, you know, and then I've had a lot of people tell me, you know, oh, well, you know, my dad always said, you don't want to eat a trout. You know, he's like, if you're going to eat a trout, you're going to eat it right away. He's like, cause it's, it's if, by the time you get it home and whatnot. And he goes, they're just not a fish that, you know, they're oily and, and they're just not a great tasting fish. And he's like, you almost got to cook it right away. Like right when you get off out of the river. Um, and, uh, he goes, that's something you just catch cause it's for sport. And, you know, we used to lake trout fish downrigger style when I was a kid, um, my my dad's friend uh ron had a boat and we used to go out on the great lakes and and lake trout fish and that those were great you know they'd keep those and eat them but like otherwise there's very few fish that i really like to eat you know so i it's more of just a just a entertainment for me so how did you get your start in the outdoors or or fishing and, and specifically fly fishing how did you get started with that man i'm an i'm an adult onset hunter and fisherman um i really didn't I didn't care for the outdoors at all when I was a kid. I, I like, well, I like to be in the outdoors. Uh, we grew up in the woods in Northern Michigan. I'm from Sheboygan, Michigan, right up by the Straits of Mackinac and, uh, right off Lake Huron. And, um, we spent a lot of time in the woods. I mean, I went out with my dad all the time and, and, you know, hiked and squirrel hunted and stuff like that, but I wasn't really into the whole, you know, hunting and killing kind of thing. I wasn't into, fishing my mom had to bribe us with baseball cards and comic books because my dad liked to fish and they'd be like well if you kids go out i have two little brothers if you kids go out and catch the biggest fish you guys get a pack of hockey cards or you guys get comic books or whatever my my one brother my middle brother matt he was all about it my brother isaac and i weren't really into it you know we were always getting snagged my dad would flip out you know it was it, it was not it was not entertainment for my dad to go fishing with all of us. Like it was a stressful endeavor. Like you could just tell, like he just, you know, he'd go from one and he'd he'd break off one snag and retie. By the time he did that, he'd go to the other kid, do the same. Then my mom, and then he'd have to go back to the first kid because they'd be snagged and break again. He spent the whole time going back up and forth along the blank, complaining, trying to get us all situated so it really wasn't like it was a great family outing whenever we went fishing and i just didn't i just didn't dig it It, like it wasn't my thing um when i went downrigger fishing and stuff with my dad and my pseudo uncle ron you know not by blood but basically my uncle um that was more about me just hanging out with my dad and ron and having a uh and just it it was almost just like a, a bonding thing or it was like hey you're one of the boys now 
you know, and when I got to go out and do that, you know, and they used to, they used to make me, I mean, I was like, you're talking a 10, 11 year old kid steering a boat in the Straits of Mackinac and the shot, like in the chop, you know, while they're, you know, hitting downriggers. Like it was a, it was a stressful kind of situation, but I really liked it. It was fun to go out with that, go out with them and wake up early and have that experience. So I did some fishing and thing like, and things like that. And I liked ice fishing and all kinds of stuff, but it wasn't my thing. I mean, it just deer hunting wasn't my thing. Uh, fishing wasn't my thing. I didn't know anybody that fly fished. I'd never even heard of it. So I didn't know anything about fly fishing. I also didn't know that people hunted with traditional bows like long bows and recurves. So had I been, had I known about that stuff, I probably would have been more into it. But to me, it looked really easy. Like hunting with a gun and stuff like that looked really easy to me. And since I wasn't a big fan of eating fish or eating wild game, I really didn't care if I went or not. And I always was in sports. I wrestled, I played football, I wrestled, I played baseball, I did everything. So I really didn't have time. Um, so I just never did it. Um, the seed was planted unknowingly, but at the time I did not, I didn't have any interest. Well, flash forward to when I was like, I was 27 years old and I just, you know, I was out of college. I was actually, I was pursuing my, um, I was just finishing up with my master's degree. I had a job. My wife, Jessica and I were, um, were, were, you know, we were dating and, uh, I kind of just like, no, we were married, but we like, we didn't have a family or anything yet. Um, we, uh, I, I just, one day I just, I'm like, you know, I'm really stressed out with all this adulting I'm doing. I need to do, I need something for stress. I'd always had an anxiety problem. And I'm like, you know, I really would like to, I really would like to shoot a bow and arrow. And Jess is like, well, a compound? And I'm like, no. Like, And I was reading this Hawkeye comic book at the time. It was like a rainy day or a Green Arrow comic book, I mean. And I was like, no, I think I want to shoot a longbow. And she's like, that's random. And I'm like, oh, it is random, but I, I kind of want to do it. And before I knew it, I got into it. I found hunting through that and the community around it. And that really, I mean, within a year, I was out and had my first doe on the ground and in the freezer. And that really got me in to the outdoors and it kind of reignited that spark that I had when I was a kid, um, that I didn't really know it. It made me, it made me think of home and, and hanging out with my dad and, and all that stuff. So, you know, I bow hunted for years. I bow hunted for, you know, I started in 2009 and I, and I, you know, I've been bow hunting ever since. And, uh, then one day, um, my friends on that, you know, I'll never forget it. It was a, it was a Memorial day weekend and they were like, Hey, you know, let's go fly fishing. Like they, they all got rods and stuff the year before they got entry packs and stuff. And they're like, let's go, let's go fly fishing. Nick, you need to get a fly rod. Everybody was telling me, Nick, you need to get a fly rod for like a year. And then finally in Memorial day, they're like, just go get a fly rod. Let's go. You can get one for like a hundred and some dollars. Little did I know everything costs a lot more than that. The barrier for entry for fly fishing is not just $150. Like you can do that, but it's very quickly adds up. So I, cause I needed waiters and I needed all that. You know how it is. Um, so I did it. I just took the plunge and we went out and started splashing water. And, um, I mean, I think I got one of those Cabela's kits, the prestige or something like that. It wasn't a very good rod and reel. And it wasn't the rod is the biggest thing. The rod was a, a brick. I mean, it was just a fast action brick and it just did not, you know, I think I had a, I think I had a six weight or something like that. And we were going after these little Browns and it just wasn't, I couldn't cast it very well. 
Um, but we had a blast. It was me and two of my buddies and we were just laughing the entire time. And I'm like, if this is what fly fishing is about, this is awesome. Like, I absolutely love this, you know, just wading down the river and just, you know, going after Browns. And like, we fished all day. I fished all weekend. Then I started going, I eventually, I think I upgraded the next week. I immediately got into a better (laughs) rod and then I got immediately got into, I got, I got more flies and I immediately got into, you know, like a, um, you know, better line and a better reel. I, I mean, I upgraded the whole rig. I took everything back to Cabela's, turned it in and got all better stuff. And, um, you know, then I started to learn, I really got hooked when I got the new rod and it was, it was a slower action rod and I could feel it load. It's, it was a Cabela's vector and I could feel it load. And I was just like, okay, I get it. This is starting to make sense now. And, um, I started fishing every time I had the chance. I'm like five minutes away from the Rogue River and and about 10 minutes away from the flat and then like 20 minutes away from the White River. I got tons in the Grands right there, but I don't fish the Grand. But there's a ton of rivers here in in, uh, Rockford, Michigan. That's where I live. And I can go, I'm, I'm, you know, it's a short car ride to go anywhere. So I'm like, I'm in the perfect spot. Like I can, I can get in my car and I can go fishing after work or I can go in the morning or I can do whatever. And I just wanted to fish all the time and I got absolutely hooked. And, you know, now that I, again, I think had I known about fly fishing when I was younger, I think I would have really liked it. Um, not as much as I do now, but I think I would have got into it. That's kind um, of a backwards story. I feel like from, from what I hear most often, um, mm-hmm. that you kind of dove right into the like quote unquote harder things that people usually, mm-hmm. um, you know, they kind of work up to it. You know, they start with a, a spin rod and and a probably a gun and then move to a compound bow and then traditional bow and that gets hard but you just dove right into like traditional archery and everything and that's pretty impressive that you got a deer down your first year i feel like there's a lot of people who don't get deer down their first year hunting at all let alone with a compound bow let alone with a traditional bow yeah and i don't i didn't do the tree stand either i've never really hunted much out of tree stands i have not I'm either a, <laughs> i have I never hunted out of one and part of it's because I'm so big and I got big feet <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I'm, I, I've never been, I'm okay with like really being really high up in the air on like a roller coaster or something, but you put me at 10, 15 feet. And for some reason that's like ladder on house height. And for some reason I just get really weird about it. I'm getting better, but I was like, you know what? I, I don't know how to do any of this. I'm just going to buy a seat and I'm going to walk out into the woods and sit there. I'm going to make a little blind and I'm going to hunt out of it. My dad never hunted out of a tree stand. He always hunted on the ground with a rifle. He'd sit on a stump or something. Yep. And that's how he did it. And I was like, that's how I'm going to do it. And, um, yeah, it is. I, I am really different that way though, where I've just, I've never, like, I've never shot a compound. I've never, I've never shot anything with a gun. And I, you know, I did spend cast for a lot of years, you know, with that, because that's what we did. Uh, and I do enjoy that. I, I, I can't say that I don't enjoy it. Like I honestly fishing for walleye with my dad and, and, you know, just using crawler harnesses and stuff. That was a lot of fun. That's just a different kind of fishing. I love fishing, um, pan fishing that way, you know, just, you know, throwing for rock bass, sunfish, bluegill, all that. That's fine. I'd rather do it with a fly rod though. And that's the way I felt with a longbow when I hunted too. It was kind of like, you know, I could shoot it with this, but then I would have wished I got it with my longbow. I could catch this fish, but then I wish I had got it with my fly rod. Um, So I just go right for the thing. And I'm like, you know what? The whole, I'm an experience driven hunter and uh, 
fisherman and the catch is second to me it's i I, i'm really hunting experiences that's really all i'm doing and i love to write and i and I, i write about everything and that's just what that's what drives me it's to it's to write about it and to create literature and and do all that it's not about you know there's i i go through droughts with deer i probably get a deer every two three years um hopefully that improves in the near future and i I guess i'm getting better but yeah i I never got into it to have a high harvest rate or a success rate it was always just i want to do the activity the interesting comparison between um because i I know fly fishing and bow hunting get compared a lot and you know that's obviously the the two main topics of your podcast um, but what's what's kind of interesting is that I feel like traditional bow hunting is objectively harder than hunting with a rifle. Like you can't you can't argue that at all. Um, the only argument you can say for bow hunting, at least out here, is for example for elk, you know, you get to hunt them in the rut if you're using a bow, so you get the benefit uh-huh. of hunting them in the rut. Um, but apart from that, uh, just weapon to weapon, there's no comparison. A, a rifle is just straight up easier to use than a bow at all, um, let alone a traditional bow. But with fly fishing. Um, I do feel like in general, it's considered kind of a more artistic, more of a finesse, difficult activity, but, um, there's a lot of times where I feel a lot more confident with a fly rod, where if I, if I walk up to a trout stream and you handed me a spin rod, I would feel, um, almost handicapped because I'd be like, I, I don't really know what to do here. Um, whereas a fly rod, I feel Mm -hmm. like I, I would know what to do. And there's times where I feel like the fly rod actually is the preferred method and and that's not necessarily all the time but i don't i can't think of a situation where if you handed someone a traditional bow they'd be like oh well actually in this situation this is going to give me an advantage over the rifle hunters you know like that's not that's not the case you know it's funny it's funny you mentioned that because so i went out one year and i loved the turkey hunt my buddy john and i love i read i read uh 10th legion um and it it, it, Colonel Tom Kelly wrote that, and it's it's a turkey hunting classic. Even if you're not into turkey hunting, you read 10, 10, 10th Legion, you want a turkey hunt. It's just one mm-hmm. of those books. It's just so beautiful, and his pursuit, it, it's just amazing. Just a great storyteller, and I even had it on uh, audio because he reads it, and it's fantastic. Um, well, one year after reading, after reading 10th Legion, I was like, okay, I've been chasing turkeys with this bow and it's really hard to get a turkey with a traditional bow run and gun. And I love that style of turkey hunting, the call and the move. And that's what my buddy John and I do. We call, we move, we go after them. We, we get down into a, you know, we quickly get undercover and we try to, we try to shoot it with our longbows. And that's what we do. And a lot of guys hunt it that way, but it's not the most successful thing. I've been doing it for five, six years now. And we still don't have a turkey on the ground. We keep saying we will. And like, it's, it's been close every year, but every year we go, you know, it would be really easy to get me one with a shotgun. We've been in that range. Well, one year I did, I, you know, I broke down and I brought a, I, I bought a, I bought a shotgun and you know, I, I got that all matched and all figured out and got the choke and everything all figured out. I was really stoked about it. Well, I went out and I had a great opportunity at a turkey and I missed it. And I always said, how can you miss anything with a shotgun? It's a shotgun. Like you'd have to be an idiot to miss something with a shotgun. (laughs) It's a big bird and you're shooting it with a shotgun and you're like 15 yards away. How could you miss that thing? I have (laughs) also missed a turkey with a shotgun and I wanted the same thing. And it's a different thing. Like it's not, and for one, I practice with my bow all the time. I don't practice with a shotgun all the time. 
And I came back and I, and my wife goes, well, how'd you do? Cause she really wants me to get a Turkey. Cause she'd actually eat that. She doesn't eat red meat, but she eats Turkey. And I'm like, okay, um, well I missed it. She goes, you took your gun, right? I'm like, I did. He goes, how'd you miss it with your shotgun? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm, but if I can miss it with my shotgun, I can miss it with my longbow. And I'd rather take it with a longbow. I'm just going to take my longbow. Right, if you're going to miss it away. anyway, might as well have the experience of a bow. <laughs> exactly. I took my, I put my gun away and never, and never got it back out for turkey season again. So now, <laughs> you know, it's just one of those things. And it's like, I feel more confident with a longbow because I know the weapon. I know sure. what to do okay. with it. You know, and that's one of the things. But I kind of feel like... I mean, I'm sure if I practiced with a shotgun, it would be a lot easier and I'd get it. And that's with anything, you know, I'd like to black powder hunt and it's the same thing there. But even when we were like walleye fishing, I put the, I put the, the spin cast rod down cause I was seeing bass cruise by on the shore and I was like, I think, I didn't get that. Right. Like large mouth, you know, I'm like, I can get that with fly rod. I'm not messing with this, you know, this here. <laughs> you know, So yeah, I had my, yeah. I, I took out my four weight and I started casting it and I was like, you know, I just had a blast. I didn't actually have, like, I, I didn't have what I needed. You know, I didn't have anything for that, but I was just kind of just, you know, throwing it out there and I was having way more fun. And you were talking about like the, uh, you know, the art form of it and the casting. I enjoy casting a fly rod so much. Like I, the reason why I like to fly fish and bake, you know, spin casting for a while, I like cemented it. That was different because my dad was there and I could talk to him. But I like fly fishing because you constantly are doing something. That is exactly the reason I give to. Like, it's it's not like a snooty, like, oh, this is the proper way to do it. It's like, it keeps me busy. It keeps my mind active and my hands have to be doing something the whole time. Oh, exactly. And like, you know, I'm sure 60% of my casts suck. But I mean, it doesn't. <laughs> that's the that's the best thing about it. It's like, well, I could just do it again. Gives you something to work you know, on. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, the scenery changes. And it, it's just... If you've kind of like a like an ADHD kind of person, like I'm really like I, I get super distracted and it's perfect for me because I can go out there and like, oh, I don't want to go here. I'm going to move here. I'm going to wait over here. Oh, this piece of river looks different. The water looks different here. You know, this is great. You know, and I just, you know, then you, I can tie on a different if I get bored, I can tie on a different fly if I'm not getting something. And, you know, that changes it up for me a little bit. Well, you know what? I'm done nymphing. Let's throw a dry on you know, kind of thing for the, just for the hell of it. You know, let's, let's try a streamer here. There's like a slack water portion of the river. And I'm going to try a streamer here. Like, yeah, you could do anything, you know, there's a lot of freedom to it. Yeah. I think one of the other things too, with the, so I, and like I said, I grew up spin fishing, mostly just casting lures out. And I feel like when I made the switch to fly fishing, it became the, the goal had to kind of narrow for every cast where for, when I was casting lures, the goal, every cast was just like, I hope a fish bites this. And obviously that's still, you know, the overall goal, but now it comes down to like, okay, I need to get my fly in that spot right there. And like right now that's all I'm focusing on. And then once I get it there, then it's like, okay, now I need to get a drag free drift. And it's like, you almost forget sometimes that you're, you're actually waiting for a, a fish to take it. And it, you know, have you ever been surprised when a fish takes it? You're like, oh, oh yeah. I was, I was focusing way too much on just getting my fly where it needed to be. I forgot that I was actually waiting for a fish to come up and take it. That actually, okay. So I, I'm going to tell a little bit of a story here. Um, so this year I got my very first, my very first decent brown on a fly that I tied on a dry. Um, and I just, I tied like a, uh, basically just a, you know, some kind of parachute Adams kind of thing, uh, you know, kind of deal. And I was like, okay, you know, the whole purpose of my trip was to throw dries that I tied like I'd been working on it I'm like I'm going to do this I went out and you know it was a great 
you know, it was, it was, you know, perfect time. Things were heating up on this little run that I liked when I was on the, on the rogue. It's just a great little, you know, piece of riffle, you know, just with a, with a bend and into the water, everything's just perfect. And you got to wait a bit to get to it. So it's a hot, it's a hot run, but you know, they're, they're usually when people just see you, they just keep going. So I got out there really early and I, I went out there and the whole time I hadn't fished dries in a while. I love to nymph. I usually too, I tight line nymph. I don't use any, you know, uh, indicators or anything. It's just too complicated for me. I just like to kind of just like feel, just feel it. And I probably get more fish if I went that other way, but I just don't because it's too complicated for me. But I love to nymph. That's, so I, that's I, hilarious you say that. Sorry to cut you off, but the, the fact oh, that you're no saying problem. that a, an indicator is too complicated, I'm like, that's what most people are doing because the tight lining is too complicated for that. <laughs> so I just think it's funny I don't that have that. you find oh, it man. opposite. Well, it's funny. So just to back up for just a second. So I actually changed my rig. This is the most complicated rig I've ever had since I started in the last three years. Like I had, I used to just go out there and I had... Um, nylon leaders and all that and i didn't get real technical with it and i'd throw one nymph out there with a bead head on it like a hare's ear or um pretty much in michigan if you have a hare's ear or a uh you know all you really need is a for dries is a caddis and a parachute atoms arguably and then if you have a hare's ear and then a um pheasant flashback or a pheasant tail something like that that's pretty much going to catch you a lot of trout same here um yeah it's just those they're not exciting but they work um, so that's all I did. I'd go out there and I'd fish downstream and I'd, and I'd kind of just, you know, I'd tightline it. I just watched the tip of my, just the, the tip of my line and, and try to hit, you know, I didn't even work that hard to try to hit bottom. Cause I didn't know what I was doing. I wasn't using split shots or anything. And somebody's like, well, you need to, you need to put a hopper dropper on there and you need to do all this stuff and you need to tie, you know, basically what are those little, uh, I can't, you know, the little bobbers. Like the thing of the bobbers. Yeah. Yep. So I put one of those on there. I'm like, that's a bobber. Now I feel like I'm bobber fishing. I can't do that. You know? So (laughs) I took that off there and, and, uh, it's just too complicated. So I was like, all right, you know, I was catching fish, their plants or whatever. I don't care. I didn't care. I was having a blast. And then, so then I discovered fluorocarbon and I was like, oh man, like the day I tried fluorocarbon with this. So I went to the fly shop and I'm like, here, I want a tight line. And he goes, well, what are you tight lining with? I'm like, well, right now I'm using just this normal setup because you can't tight line that way. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? He goes, if you're going to Euro nymph for tight line, you need to build a leader and you drag list, you know, you need to do furled leaders good. You know, you build it all the way down until you get, you know, this little cider portion and then you do this. And I built this freaking line and it took me all day to do it. Like I'm sitting there and I'm like, all right, I got it. I took it out there, and man, I failed miserably. I got all tangled up. I got a bird's nest out of it. It was awful. Like I had my nymphs kept on catching on each other. I had stuff stuck to my waders. I'm like, I took that thing off there and threw my old line on there, but I kept the fluorocarbon on there, and I started catching fish. And I was like, this fluorocarbon's making a huge difference here. So, I I just said, you know what? I'm gonna just let's let's take a next step up. Let's evolve a little bit. Let's go. I'm going to go with a two nymph rig and I'm going to use a fluorocarbon leader and fluorocarbon tippet and I'm going to use shot so I get down there and I'm just going to adjust. And I started catching a lot of fish that way. And I was like, okay, this works for me. And I never got away from it. And I got to the point where it was almost like a crush. I, I never threw dries. I was always nymphing because I never know when I can go out fishing. I haven't been through too many hatches because it's just not convenient for me to go out at night and stay out till all hours of the night. I've done that a couple times, but 
with the kids at home and stuff. And, you know, it just, it, I, if I go nymphing, I can go fishing anytime really. So that's, I started doing subsurface fishing more. Well, anyway, the, uh, to get back to my story with the dry, I'm like, okay, I'm going to make an effort here to actually, like, I had just gotten a glass three weight and I, I'm like, you know what? This rod wants to throw dries. I'm going to go throw dries and I'm going to throw the, since I'm going glass, I'm going to just do stuff. I tied and we're going to go out and we're going to do this. So I went out there and I tied my, my very, I you took, I think I got four flies tied because I was still learning. So I got them in there. I'm like, these look decent enough to fish. They at least look like a dead insect or a dying insect. I can at least get away with that, you know? So I went out there and, uh, you know, I, I was just, I was just having a day and I was just casting. I didn't care. Like I was so worried. I was so worried about my casting. Like you said, I didn't, I just forgot I was fishing. I basically went out there to cast and I was just casting. And then all of a sudden I hit, I hit like a brookie and then I hit another one and then I hit a little Brown. And then I was like, Oh, this is kind of fun. You know, I'm catching some fingerlings. This is pretty cool. You know? And then I hit a beautiful roll cast right on the, right off a riffle, right around uh, going into this deep pool on this bend. And I caught like a 13 inch brown on that fly, like immediately. And the moment, and there's not a lot of big fish in this, in this river. And that's a big fish for me, or it was at the time. And it still is actually. So the moment that fly hit the top of the water, that fish grabbed it. And I was shocked. In fact, I was so shocked. I didn't realize what I, that I had left my bag open and I dropped my fly box into the water while, while I was fighting this fish and I had the fish on, then there was my fly box and I'm like, all right, the current's not too bad. I like, I had to make a decision. Like, I think I'm just, I got to get this fish, you know? So I said to hell with the fly box and I just got the fish and I landed the fish in my net and I lost the fly box and I had like $150 in in junk bugs, streamers. Like that was my junk bug case. Like all the stuff that cost money was in that case. And I didn't care. Like I didn't care. I cared later, but I didn't care at the time. I was like, I was so shocked. I got that Brown on that fly and just, I felt so good about it that I immediately packed up all my stuff and left. I was like, this is so awesome, but I wasn't trying to catch a fish. I mean, really all I was doing was casting that glass rod with that, with that dry. That's it. I was working on my dry fly and I caught that fish and it just, it shocked me so much that I dumped that out and everything else. I bring one beer with me into the water and a can like an IPA, I feel like I have to. It just feels like the thing to do. Yep. And the the only thing left in my bag was the IPA. Like that's good. <laughs> that, that last. So I immediately drank the IPA and I left. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it's got to be one of my best fly my best fly fishing experience to date was on that. And just like you said, like I didn't even wasn't even paying attention. That was not my intention at all. And that happened. I could have tried to fish for that fish, you know, for an hour and not catch it you know, trying to. So, you know, I'm glad you, you mentioned that story because I, I'm sure you didn't listen to, um, the episode of mine that came out today, but it was with Darren Shank and he was talking about like one of the main topics we talked about was how, um, the, his favorite fish he caught wasn't his biggest and, and why, and he just, you know, talked me through the story and everything. And we were, we were just like, yeah, you know what? I mean, obviously the the biggest fish you ever caught could be your your most memorable fish but often it's not and i feel like that's probably the same same way for you in this story it's like a 13 inch brown like not a not a 
tiny fish by any means, but probably not the biggest fish you've ever caught. But just the the whole experience around it, you know, what what was going on at the time, the gear you were using, um, probably the weather, just like everything that goes into every fish you catch. Um, there's There's times that I catch... 20 fish a day and I don't remember any of them and then there's other times I go out and have you know objectively a pretty bad day of fishing I might land one fish but maybe uh that fish is super memorable because I spent you know three hours trying to cast this one fish and it finally took my fly and and suddenly that fish means more to me and like jumps up the ranks even if it's not anything special maybe a stalker brown trout but you know I still will think back on that years later and remember that specific fish uh and it and it often really rarely has anything to do with how big it was Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. Like, yeah, I totally agree. Like, not that there's a lot of giant fish around here, and I, I, I got to get into some bigger fish. Not that the size really matters all that much to me. I catch a lot of stuff that's probably in the in the 9 to 13 range that are just in there. Like, that's kind of what we have. Yeah. But, um, but you know, I, I'm also really new to this, and I, ha- I have to go to – I have to travel and get to some places and, and you know, kind of get into – into that a little bit more but it, the same thing happened to me actually when i caught my very first one of my very first browns even nymphing um i threw it out there my buddy was right behind me he was kind of mentoring me through this and uh his name is john mudry and he i kind of got him back into fly fishing or the, me and my our, our mutual friend rob got him back into fly fishing because we just started and he fly fished for years but kind of put it aside and um us wanting to get into it got him into it so he kind of mentored us and took us under his wing and and taught us good habits and bad habits and and just having fun and and i remember he was watching me cast like trying to teach me cast and i and i threw a i just threw like a hair's ear in the water and i let it drift and i was like well did i hit that all right you know i looked around he's like you got a fish you idiot and i turned around (laughs) and sure enough i'm like oh i thought i had a snag you know like it was it was funny because i didn't even know i had a fish on it because that's how a strike feels (laughs) and i was like oh you know so yeah exactly like it's all about again it's all about the activity for me um but i do get i'm getting to the point now where i've seen so many so many fish on fishagram that i'm just like i want to get into a brown that big i I (laughs) like i don't even know what i do (laughs) my my fish are generally about the same size as yours i feel like average 9 to 12 inches or so and every once in a while i'll catch a a bigger one but then i'm like even my big ones are like 16 to 18 i'm like that was a solid fish like i really feel good about yeah. that and then i go like log on and i'm like well that fish is like 25 inches <laughs> you know? oh yeah i love to follow people who fish in new zealand and then the, the browns they pull out of new zealand and like six inch water mm-hmm. i was just insane these big mutant brown trout i'm just like oh man <laughs> i'm like i don't even know what i would do and like honestly the first so the first, the, the best, I honestly, to be, just to go back to smallmouth for a minute, like, that's my thing. I love doing that. Like, a, a buddy introduced me to that a year ago, a year and a half ago, and told me where to go, and he's like, try this and throw throw a black streamer because it looks like a Helgramite. They'll eat that all day long and just throw it on the drift. So I went out there, and I tried it, and I caught, the first time I went out there, I caught, like, 20 smallmouth. And then every time I've gone back to that spot since, I've I've had a day. I've just caught a ton of fish. And just dead drifting it, it? Yeah, just dead drifting it. Yeah. Like once in a while you'll get like a rock bass or something. It'll hit it as soon as it hits, like a popper. Mm-hmm. But, you know, most of the time I'm just dead drifting it, you know, and uh, they get it right on the end of the swing. And um, I I really got into some big bass this year. Like I never caught fish that big. And I love the way bass fight. 
So my first experience with really fighting big fish on a bigger fish on a fly rod was this year. And I actually, I didn't think I was going to get anything that big. And I took my, that glass three weight out that, um, it's my Scott spray. He, he made that rod. He's a builder here in Michigan and a friend we had on the show. And I tried that rod and it's like a beautiful blue glass three weight. And I love to fish it, but I started getting into some of those big, big bass with those three weight, that three weight. And it felt like I had whales on the end of my line. Oh, I mean, yeah, it was sure. just insane. Oh yeah. I was like, oh, this is awesome. So yeah, if I can't, if I can't get big fish, I'll just use a lighter rod. Yeah. Or just go fishing for <laughs> bass that always feel twice the size they actually are. Oh yeah, totally. And they're so fun to catch. Like if you just want to da- I told my dad, like, dad, if I ever took you fly fishing, if I ever convinced you to go fly fishing, I think he tried it once when he was a kid. I'm like, I'm not taking you trout fishing. I'm taking you smallmouth fishing. I'm like, cause we'll sit there and hook up all day long and you'll just be tired by that. My, my arm hurts when I'm done. Yeah. Like it's just great. Yeah, I've said this more than once, but I, I mostly fish for trout because that's what we have here mostly, you know, mm-hmm. and and I will prioritize the area I'm fishing in over the fish themselves. So if I can be in a beautiful place by myself, I don't really care what I'm catching. So, I'll, so you know, in Colorado, that translates to your fishing for trout, but I would, I would take small mouth over trout any day. Trout don't really fight very hard and the fighting is my favorite part. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Growing up with small mouth, it's like you can't, even large mass, like you can't, you can't really compare to the the spunk that those smallies have. Well, my buddy's spoiled on that too. My my other buddy, uh, my turkey hunting buddy John Bushine, um, he's he's really trying to get me into steelhead. I've gone out with him a few times, and I've seen. I mean, um, I've seen him cruise by and got you know all the hair on my arms stood up, and I'm like, that is a monster. Mm-hmm. Like I can't even imagine getting that on a you know nine weight or whatever. So I'm like, I I'm. I'm all about it and I want to try it. But again, that's really boring fishing to me because it's like you're, you cast so many times and these fish are so picky and you may not, you may cast all day and not get one hit and, you know, but I cannot, he's had a couple on a fly rod in the last couple of years. And he said, if you, if you lay into one of those with, with one of these rods, you are never going to want to fish anything ever again. Cause he said, nothing feels like that. Yeah. He's like, they're just, they're huge. And I'm like, I don't know if I agree with you there. I'm like, I'm sure it's great and, and all, but he says that totally spoiled him. Like, he's like, I don't even have a little fish rod. I only go after, you know, steelhead now. You know, that's one so. of the reasons I haven't wanted to chase steelhead too much. I was just reading a, a field and stream article about some people who were, fit- it was like last, one of last year's editions, uh, but it was about uh, people who were fishing below Niagara Falls, like farther down on that river. And uh, you could catch browns, steelhead, and lake trout there. And they were complaining that there were too many lake trout because most, like most of the time, that's what you were catching. And they, were, the pictures mm-hmm. they were sharing of these lake trout, they were like thirty plus inches, like on average, lake trout. Oh, they're bricks. Yeah, and they were like, oh, yeah. man, it was just another lake trout. And I was like, if I caught a thirty-inch lake trout, I would be so excited. But but they were going for steelhead, and they caught like you know it, it was a long article and it was talking about kind of over the course of three days, and they they finally landed one. And it was super exciting because it ran so hard and everything and and i'm kind of torn between i i've caught one steelhead and it was it was very exciting but i think i need a little bit more action than that um Mm -hmm. for for the hardcore like i would go steelhead fishing for sure again but i don't think i'd ever become um one of the people who only chases steelhead because i do like getting a fish on the end of my line more frequently than they tend to and, and I don't really care how big those fish are. I mean, I go fish for six inch fish all the time and, and I just like, mm-hmm. ca- you know, catching those. 
And I don't think I could ever become one of those diehard steelhead anglers who is like, yeah, I might catch one fish every five times I go out. And I'm like, ah, that's, that's what I was like growing up, you know, when I didn't know what I was doing. I was catching one fish every couple times I went out. And, and I like generally being able to get something to the net when I go out now. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I don't think I could do that either. I mean, to me, I guess I don't really care much about the species. It's really hard to romance a bass. Like, I mean, you like, there's so much, there's so much romance to fly fishing and the, and trout, you know, it's just all the, all the mystique and all the literature I've read about people, you know, trout madness and trout magic and all those, you know, Volkert and all that. I mean, all those, those stories. I mean, it's such a, there's so much of that old romance to it mm-hmm. where, you know, bass fishing is like, they're going to eat it. Like right. <laughs> you throw something at them, they're gonna, and they're not exactly the most like the prettiest fish. You know, they got huge mouths and they just they're vacuums, and but it's all in the fight. You know, I mean that's if you want to fight, there there's there's no no fish like it really. I mean, my dad. It was funny because when we were walleye fishing, we kept catching sheep's head, and you know just drums. You know, um, and just like that, they just they're like a carp. Or they're not like a carp, but they're, they fight harder than that. Like they're, they, they fight like a bluegill, but they're huge. So well, that sounds like a fun fish. I, oh man. So I got, yeah. So you're probably not very familiar with it then, huh? I, I'm um, familiar with what it is, but I've never fished for them. It looks crazy. Like it's just, it, yeah, they look like massive bluegills that just have these big bulbous heads. And, uh, they, it's funny because when you throw them back in the water, they float upside down because their head's so heavy <laughs> before they can flip back around. And he's like, you can't kill them. You tr- trust me. <laughs> and he's right. Every time you throw them in the water, they go smack. And I'm like, that fish has got to be dead. And nope, flips up and goes. But yeah, when you, these are huge fish. And when you, when you get into one, I mean, they fight like a bluegill. They take off. They go side to side. And it's like, this is amazing. And my dad's like, those things are such a pain, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I would catch these all day long. I don't even care. Like, uh, my buddy Scott's like that with carp, too. He'd rather fish carp. He loves fishing carp. And that's something I like to get into, too. And he's like, that. that's a fish that's just, you know, it's a game fish in other countries. Well, <laughs> so. That's something I've never understood. And that's the thing that I get into out here with whitefish. So I don't know if you've ever fished for mountain whitefish um not mountain whitefish no. okay so we have them out here and they're you know they're not they're not in a lot of rivers in colorado but they're the rivers they are in there's a lot of them um and they fight really hard like you you could have a, a 15 inch whitefish on and it feels like you've got like a 20 something inch trout they just they really tug they like to sit down at the bottom it's almost it's almost like a walleye mixed with a small mouth like that kind of heavy just tugging feeling of a walleye but also you know making runs like a like a small mouth does and I love them because of that. You know, when I hook one, it's like, I have no idea how big this fish is because it's pulling so hard. And they're kind of considered a trash fish out here. And people will be like, oh, it's just a white fish. And I don't really understand where the kind of ranking system of like which fish qualify as being, like you said, that like the romanticization of trout. I mean, I, I like fishing for trout. Um, and I'm assuming the, the romance behind it comes from the fact that they're they're picky, um, they might be mm-hmm. harder to get to take a fly. Like, like you said, a small mouth is kind of like a vacuum. You put something in front of it and it's going to suck it in. Um, but like, I don't, I don't really understand where the, where the hierarchy has come from of like, oh, this is a respectable fish and this is a trash fish. I'm like, for me, whichever one is going to take my fly and pull the hardest, that's what I want to catch. And so that leaves mm-hmm. me with whitefish, bass, and bluegill <laughs> as, as my Yo, favorite totally. things to catch. <laughs> 
Oh, I mean, I could all day on a popper for bluegill. (laughs) I mean, that's, oh, that's so fun. Like, I will do that all day long. And I'm the same. I'm like, and it's funny that people call it trash fish, but... Most of the time, you when you're eating anything at a restaurant, it's trash fish. Right, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not I'm not eating trout. So I mean, I, I somebody just decided one day that oh man, these trout they're majestic, you know. And I, I think a lot of it is just how pretty they are. Yeah, they they look they look you know? chic, you know. <laughs> they do. They got and especially if you get into the really colorful ones, mm-hmm. um, they're just you know you 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 pull in a rainbow or whatever, and you're like wow, that's a beautiful fish, you know. And you're like you're all about it. That's why, you know, nobody really cares. You know, people, I like to see really small fingerling trout on Instagram all the time because sometimes you just pull up the ones that, I mean, the color is just, it pops so hard and you're just like, that is, how could, how could a fish like this exist? Right. Like, it's just amazing. I mean, it is um, hard to beat like a small, like, I feel like like a 10 inch spawning color brook trout is about as pretty as the trout come. Oh, totally. Yeah. It's like they, but it is interesting that one day somebody just decided that trout were were the majestic the majestic fisherman's pursuit you know and that's that's it right and not no other fish would would come anywhere close to that because nobody's writing like nobody's writing like art you know artistic novels and short stories about catching bass or you know there's a carp book but it's about how to catch carp it's not like written with beautiful language or anything like that you know or nobody does that with pike right and, and stuff like that and and i'm like i would love to catch pike too i've seen people um there's a few instagram accounts i follow that where it's just people who uh people who pike fish and with just like articulated big articulated streamers and and fly rods and in all strip and then oh man that looks awesome like i don't think i'm really i could ever limit myself to one species whatever no. gets me into the water like i'm good with it i feel the same way and yet we, we need to have like a john Gearock of like bluegill fishing where, yeah. where there's just like chapters devoted to i think i think the problem is that the the romance of it comes from the fact that you're trying so hard to get like an elusive fish to come up and if you had somebody trying to write that about bluegill be like and then i cast out for the 30th time and caught my 30th bluegill <laughs> that day like there's there's no like waiting or patience or you know the pursuit it's just like oh i cast out and there it was <laughs> oh i know it's like i i can't for some reason i can't picture like somebody with like some flannel shirt and like a brimmed hat and like a you know like a pipe, a pipe yep. out there bass fishing <laughs> with a fly rod <laughs> like that would really float that would really floor me i would be really thrown because of that stereotype but whenever you think somebody's a bass fisherman i picture somebody with like a jersey on and like a big boat yep and like a million rods and sponsors, sponsors <laughs> and like plastered all over sponsors and- yeah and it's like you know and people are really into that but it feels like so sports fisherman i don't know if it's because i grew up playing black bass on super nintendo oh, yeah, or something I that game or like too. I mean, oh man like i used to love those games and i never fished i just liked the games but i i it's just it doesn't feel right to me um I don't know. And it's funny how those stereotypes exist, though. Yeah. It, it really does. It really is. Yeah, like, the, the stereotype of, like you said, the kind of the tweed-wearing, like, pipe smoking, it's always in the context of trout. No one ever pictures that person standing at the edge of, like, a muddy pond with cattails around. No. Yeah, it's not elegant. That's the other thing, too. Like, bass fish is not elegant no. at all. Like, you go after any other species, like, you're in these mud pits and, like, the you know, exactly with bugs and, like... You know, well, in my first year, I didn't even bass fish. Like, I I would, like, take the temperature. I'm like, I only trout fish. So I would, like, I didn't know anything about that. I didn't know where to go. And when it started getting really warm, 
And in the summer, the dog days of summer, I would like check the river reports and I bought a thermometer and stuff like that. And I was like, okay, I can catch trout today. I can't catch trout today. When somebody told me about bass fishing, that opened my world because I was like, oh, you can catch bass all summer long and it's this fun. Like, I don't even care what season I'm in anymore. You know, that kind of thing. Like, it was just, it was amazing. I'm like, and I can go do this and I don't have to worry about, you know, all this stuff. And this is just, it's totally relaxing to me. Um, But yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, again, I haven't been doing this very long. I'm looking forward to expanding my horizons um, and, uh, and going after different things. Yes. That's something I wanted to ask you being someone who's new, newer to the sport, like what, what barriers to entry did you find or not necessarily barriers to entry? Cause I know you just went out and, and got a rod and picked it up, but like what, what major challenges did you find, um, with kind of jumping right into fly fishing between then and like where you are today? Um, I didn't know where to go. Okay. That was my big thing. I didn't know anything about fishing. So as far as like river fish, I mean, when I was a kid, you just went to the bank or you went to a pond, you know, and threw a line in like I didn't my dad took me so I mean I didn't really pay attention like I didn't know a big barrier is learning about trout I had to learn about brown trout and I had to learn about rainbows and where to find them and and what to throw and what they eat what they eat and why I had to learn about just learning about um the stages of a of a of a fly and what they actually are and what why you fish with a nymph and and you know what column you fish in and what and in what column did you know when to throw in a merger when to do like i had to learn all that um but the big so that's like probably one and two the first one well i should say i should say the cost of entry because everybody had always told me that fly fishing is super expensive don't get into it because it's going to cost you so much money and I was looking at waders and stuff and they were like $600 and all this stuff like that. And I was like, I can't afford that. And then some reels were fine. You know, I would see pictures of able reels and stuff and I'd be like, wow, 500, $600, $700 for a reel, you know, like, or more like who can afford that? Like, I, I thought it was a, it was a sport of luxury and I wouldn't be able to afford it. And I kind of wrote it off. So those three things, like having a spot to fish and actually knowing where to fish, like in when, and then the education of what a fly actually is and why fish eat it. Cause I, I had only thrown night crawlers before that. I didn't know anything about it. And then price, that was the three biggest things. And what really broke that barrier for me was just having one or two friends, one for actually one friend who knew about it, who had done it and did it for years showed me showed me it took me out and showed me took me to a spot you know and said here we'll go here we went to a fly shop we asked the fly shop owner he said where to go he said you can go right over here okay and then got me into the water showed me showed me a couple basic things how to do a roll cast and how to just how to do a a basic cast and um that's it you know and that that's all it took now do you think the barrier for like not not knowing about like the different stages of the insect and everything like that. Was that more of the transition to fly fishing or more of the transition to trout? Cause I kind of feel like it's hard to narrow it down. Cause like with, if you're just, you know, checking out bait or lures or, or whatever, you're not really worried about, I mean, you're probably not fishing insect imitations anyway. Um, sure. But you're also not really imitating different stages. You know, so you might be throwing out like a minnow um, or a minnow lookalike and, 
but th- but that's also kind of just related to bass. I mean, that's that's what you throw out for bass is just something that looks sure. like bait fish. So it's kind of like switching to fly fishing and trout at the same time. It's kind of hard to narrow down like where where um or like which thing that was more related to as as well, a barrier. And there's a reason to that because I didn't think anybody fly fish for anything but trout. Okay. The only thing I'd ever heard of, literally my introduction to fly fishing was I read, I was, somebody told me I needed to read the Gordon Macquarie, um, duck hunting treasury basically. And he fly fishes in that too, quite a bit. And I read one fly fishing story that absolutely floored me. I was, and it made me want to fish and that planted the seed. And that was a trout fishing story and everything I'd ever read about fly fishing that I liked was trout. I didn't even look at anything else. So all I, I thought when you fly fished, you fished for trout. And then I kind of found out after that, no, you fished, you know, Scott fished for carp. And then there's this guy fished for smallmouth. And, you know, this. I, I just started learning there was other things you could do. So really that was all one barrier for me. I, I figured if you wanted to fly fish, you had to know all about trout and the feeding patterns of trout. And sure, you could go out there. Like when I first started, I just... Somebody said, you know, the, I think the fly shop owner said, you want a hare's ear, you want a deer hair caddis, and you want a uh, parachute Adams, and you want a pheasant tail. And that's literally what I bought and put it in my box. And I went out and I tried it. And, you know, the nymphs caught more because I didn't know what I was doing on a dry. And I fished a hare's ear and I fished a, um, I fished those four flies that whole first year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I didn't know I didn't know anything about the patterns of the trout and why I was fishing them. I just knew that fish bit those flies, and that somebody told me you fish dries at night, you know, when there's rises, and and during the day you can fish nymphs if there's you know unless there's rises and you can throw whatever. So I somebody I I just picked up information from people. Um, but you just trusted what they said and it worked, so you yes. have no reason to question it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, because I was totally overwhelmed, and part of the reason why I was out there is because I wanted to hang out with them anyway. So it was a social thing. And a lot of times it's a social thing for me and I was just having fun. So when I realized I love to do this, that's when I nerded out about it and started learning about fish and what was happening and why. And you know how you are when you first start into it, you like something, it's like a sponge. You just kind of just like get obsessed with it. Um, I was fishing on days I had no business fishing. I mean, anytime, anytime I had a chance, you know, rain, extreme heat, whatever I was fishing. It didn't matter. Um, but yeah, I got it. I think that was it. Just, just understand what I was doing. But honestly, I think the biggest thing though, I, if I could break it down to the one barrier would be just knowing where I had, where I could go. Like I just didn't know where I could fish. Um, people don't like to give up their spots. Well, that's still a hard <laughs> so, thing to overcome. Like, yeah, exactly. New river. I mean, it's so comforting to have your river with your spots that, you know, you can go to. But looking at a new river, I'm always like, well, I know I can fish the river if I get to it. But, like, I have no idea where to go on this river. Um, a, to, I mean, you can look up public land and stuff, but that doesn't mean it's going to be an accessible spot. It might be, you know, cliffed out or or the runs aren't good or whatever. So you get there and you're like, well, this doesn't look very good, but, like, now where do I go? Exactly. And then, you know, I did find the Michigan, uh, the Michigan fly fishing. There's, like, two Michigan fly fishing Facebook groups. And... I wish I'd have found them early on because there's a lot of guys on there that talk about fishing where I fish and where to go. They don't tell you exactly, but you know, they, they won't show you on a map or anything, but they'll tell you, you know, you're below the dam here. You're above the dam here. You're here. You're here. Nobody ever gives up steelhead spots. 
you just don't do that. That for some reason, like <laughs> if you know where you can get steelhead, nobody really talks mm-hmm. about it. Um, but you know, they'll open up enough about it. And I ran into some cool people on the river too, that have told me, you know, I, I noticed that when you find a, a fellow fly fisherman right outside the river, going into the river or coming off the river, usually better coming off the river. Cause they're in a good mood. They're willing to give you a lot of information. Right. And they're leaving. So they're like, I don't care where you go <laughs> exactly. right now. Cause it's not competing You're with like, me. <laughs> exactly. I'm not going to tell you right where I'm at, but I'll tell you if you go over here around that bend and try right there and they're hitting on, you know, sulfurs or they're doing whatever, you know, go do that and, you know, you'll, you'll be fine. But usually when you show up at a spot and you see another fisherman, they ain't going to tell you anything because they're like, I'm going to go out and have my day and, and do whatever. But if the only contact you have with fly fishermen is somebody you met down by the river who doesn't know who you are, you're just not going to get a lot of information out of that person. It's just not going to happen. Um, I was actually shocked when I got on that fly fisherman facebook group and people were talking about their spots i was like were you insane why would you do that like i don't tell people where i'm bow hunting right (laughs) you know um but because of that that was kind of a barrier i mean a shop might tell you because they're selling you stuff so they'll tell you well yeah you want to go out here and you know i'll guide you if you have money yeah you know kind of thing yeah and they want you to buy their flies and stuff so it's in their best interest to make sure you're happy yeah, they'll give you enough, but they won't give you exactly what you need. But I, I totally believe, like in bow hunting, I believe men- mentors are so important. Just having that one person, one or two people that can that can just that know you and want to educate you because they they see that you're passionate like they are. Yeah. And you know, it's nice to have a friend that can do that because they can take you in and just like splash, let you splash water with 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 them for a while, and you know, then it's kind of on you to, to pass that on after. And I've noticed like, as like, I, I really enjoy helping new people who want to get started. But the one, the one requirement I have is that I have to be able to tell that you really, really want to learn. Like, I don't know how, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sure you've experienced this too. Let me know if I'm wrong, but where you mentioned that you fish or fly fish specifically usually because you know most people can go out with a a bobber that doesn't feel like um a a big barrier to entry to most people but fly fishing does and so most people don't want to give it a try unless they have someone to show them how to do it but you'll mention that you do it and they're like oh i've wanted to try that but you can like tell the difference between someone who's like in passing like oh that sounds fun i'd like to try that versus someone who's like oh my god i've been wanting to try that for so long and I've never found someone who could take me out. And those sure. are two very different people where, you know, you might be out with one person and they're like checking their phone while you're trying to tell them how to cast. And the other person is is looking at you like they've never looked at anything before. Like they are, they're trying to soak in every word you say and they're asking questions. And like, that's the type of person where I'll, I'll spend all day just helping you. I don't need to fish, but I don't have a lot of interest mm-hmm. in working with somebody who I can tell is just kind of like in passing like yeah i'd like to try this but like i probably won't go out many times after this like i don't have much interest in sure. spending time on that person no that's and i i feel the same way with hunting and stuff too um you know the other thing with fly fishing as kind of a barrier now that i'm thinking of it is you could just look really stupid you, you do look really stupid when you, when you start out that's for sure you don't really want that many people around you i mean like yeah like my you know we rib each other all the time it's non-stop and when we first started it was it was hilarious because i mean like john took my buddy rob and i out john the mudri who i mentioned who's the guy that's mentored us from the start for fly fishing and he took us out we're all the same age but he we kind of really looked up to him to to kind of plow the way for us well 
at one point he's tying and he looks back and Rob's in a tree, you know, wading towards the thing. And I've got like a, I'm all wrapped up and, you know, I've got a big old nest in my reel and like, you know, cause I just, I got a huge wind knot and I got it wrapped around the end of my rod and I'm all, you know, messed up and, and, you know, he just kind of laughed and just made fun of us the whole time. Cause it's just, it's funny. Like he in a good educational way, lighthearted way, but we felt comfortable with him. But if you're like just around people, like even going into a fly shop, like I, at first I didn't even want to try a fly rod in the parking lot. You know, they let you go yeah. out and cast in the parking lot. I didn't want to do that. Cause I'm going to look terrible. Like it, he's like, Oh, you know, just give it a haul, a few hauls. I'm like, I don't know how to haul and you're not going to give me a lesson. So if I go out there, I'm going to look like a moron. Like, and I don't want to look like a moron in front of a store full of people in the parking lot. You know, like that's, that's kind of a, even going out into my yard and practicing in my yard with a yarn fly was embarrassing at first. I was like, I didn't even want to do it. Like, I was just like, I felt really, you know, I just felt really uncomfortable and really insecure about it. Cause you know, you could just look so stupid, so foolish. It's, it's, you know, and it's almost to the point where like, you don't want to be criticized about it. You know, you just want to fish, but you know, I was thankful I found John because John was very patient He'd let you fish. He, he'd show you a few things, but he'd let you fish for a while before he corrected you again. Because um, if you just sit there and you're just getting corrected constantly and critiqued, you just don't want to cast anymore. You know, you're just like, okay, I'm not having any fun. I'm just getting, you know, just getting critiqued. So there's that too. Um, whereas like most things, like it, you can look more humiliating learning how to fly fish than you do a lot of other things. Yeah, because everything you do is critiquable. Exactly. I've tried to get better about that when I'm helping new people is to give them the tip and let them run with it for a while, even if they're not doing it. Because I'm like, they'll, it's in their mind. They'll get it eventually. Um, but just letting them work it out themselves. Because, like, you can tell someone to do something, but it's in so much of it's muscle memory, it's not as easy as just being like, okay, I'll just do that now. You know, it, you kind of got to give them time mm -hmm. to work it out themselves. Yeah, then you figure out, like, every time you have a bad cast, you're like, oh, I'm crumpling, I'm doing this, you know, I'm, like, I'm creeping, I'm doing, you know, there's all kinds of things. You just, you know you're doing it yourself, like, you know what you did. Um, I've seen some people get it, and it's funny now, like, now that I've got, I'm decent at it, you know, I go out into the water and I'll see somebody come in, you know, like, and I can tell they're new, because, you know, they're, they're doing that snap bar, you know, you're hearing, hearing the whip, and you're hearing the they're they're coming down too far too hard like they're throwing a baseball and the rods hitting the water and all this stuff and they just look awful and you're just thinking like oh man oh just don't oh don't do that don't just stop you know <laughs> like that looks painful i really want to help this person like yeah there's one person i can think of specifically the the worst caster i've ever seen uh they came down when i was fishing it was last year sometime they came right down along the river where i was fishing they went right down below me. And I was already thinking like, I think you're new here because they, they started fishing, you know, about a hundred feet below me. And I'm like, this there's no one else on this river. Like, why, why are you right here next to me? But he would, he, um, would look at where he wanted to cast. He would give like a big sigh, you know, you could tell he was preparing for what he was about to do. <laughs> and then <laughs> like, he was really focused. And then he took his rod and he went back and forth. I want to say like, two two times a second like forward and back uh within one second and he was hitting the water with his rod on both the forward and the back cast 
um, like making oh, yeah. a full 180 degree thing and the rod would hit and he was going so fast that the line was like not catching up like it was making like an s shape in the in the air because it it couldn't catch up with one cast before he started the next one and the next one and the next one and the line would just like land in a pile in the water and then he'd fish it and i was like man you know i really really <laughs> want to commend this guy for his dedication to each of the casts he's making you know he's really trying to fish it out but like man i don't, I don't even know where to start with this person <laughs> Yeah, I think the uh, it, well, and, you know, getting a rod to load is it's it doesn't feel like a natural no. thing at first, but it's like the most natural thing in the. I mean, because if you think about the one of the best analogies that somebody ever told me when I when I was learning is they like think picture, and this may be a common one. I don't know. They're like picture you've got like a like a a stick, and they're like now and you got to write. You know, like when you were a kid, did you ever put a rotten apple on a stick and then throw this like you know wrench the stick forward and let the mm-hmm. just just enough to let the apple fly off the top of it and that is the exact motion like that's all you're doing you're trying to make that you're trying to make the top do that well once they told me that i was like i could envision it it was still really hard for me to do it but i could at least see what you're trying to what they're trying to do i've never heard that before and, but that's a good analogy yeah and uh my problem was i'd come i i just i'd muscle it i'd, I'd try to come through I wouldn't let the rod load and to compensate for it. I would come through like a pitcher on the end of a windup and I would just throw it too far, like too hard down. And I get the same thing every time. And uh, a lot of wind knots. Uh, that was really, really tough for me to break. And I, and uh, what happened to me is I ended up going to um, our, our flight kind of, kind of resident pro around here is Glenn Blackwood. And he owns, uh, he's also big in the literature, but he, uh, he owns the Great Lakes Fly Fishing Co. And um, he was actually on Traditional Outdoors, one of our earlier episodes. And uh, I went over there once and he said, after after we recorded with him, he's like, Nick, let me give you a lesson. Just I'll give you a free lesson. So he took me out to the parking lot and he gave me a, like a, TF, a TFO rod or whatever. And I went out there and uh, he's like, try this. And he goes, okay, this is what you're doing. You're muscling it. You need to, you need to work on, you need to do less is basically what he told me. He's like, you're just not letting the line get back there. And he worked with me for 15 minutes. And after that, I think my casting improved 40%. Just that one thing. And I'm like, now I know why people pay for lessons and stuff like this. Because you really can accomplish a lot more than thrashing around. You can thrash around for a week. And if somebody shows you the right way to do it in 15 minutes, it's like a light comes on, you know? But it's hard to break that down because a lot of people are like, I'm going to learn how to do this myself. I don't need any help. Right. And YouTube's you know? not going to tell you what yeah. you're doing wrong. No. And I really tried to, I really tried to learn off YouTube. I learned a lot of things on YouTube for fly oh, fishing, YouTube's a great. lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. But, but casting, it never helped me. That's, I mean, it's just not something that works, you know, for me. Like I can watch it, but I need somebody to show me what I'm supposed to feel. Well, it's so weird so. because once you've, once you understand what that loading feels like, it's really hard to, to unremember it like it's it's hard for me to picture that like the feeling of not feeling the rod load and not understanding like when to come forward after the rods loaded like when i see someone new i'm like i totally understand that this was me when i started too but then there's a part totally. of me that's like but how do you not feel it <laughs> like how do you not feel it load or or not loading 
I mean, because it, it does, like, you know right away after doing it for a while that the rod's not loaded. Yeah. Because it's literally not doing anything. Right. You're, you're, when, there's, I mean, there's times where you still have just, like, a bad cat, like, something happens, the wind catches it, whatever, and you, yeah, you sure. kind of have to, like, you know, pull it in and restart because it was just something crappy happened, but, but you feel that coming. You're like, oh, man, this cat, I'm losing it. I'm losing this cast. I, re- I need to just, you know, take a breather and, and restart the cast, but you you are aware of that when it's happening you're like this is bad i need to i need to stop and to it's hard to picture not having that feeling of like this is good or this is bad and i and i know which way it's going mm-hmm. you can i think that's a pretty common one though where the the real hard forward motion when mm-hmm. you're just which comes from another thing is like my problem is is when i'm having a bad day i i i, I lower the rod too much like i i just don't the rod's too low you know, I'm trying to fish like I, I actually sometimes I, I honestly think I, I cast better side. I do, too. I, I think I do like best 45 degree angle. Yeah. And where I where I fish, there's just a lot of overhangs and stuff like that. Like we just got a lot of real thick brush and I, I get I got used to just casting sideways and I can cast and haul sideways way better than I can over my head, because whenever I'm over my head, I've snagged and lost so many flies and overhanging trees. I've almost got like a some kind of a like mental issue with <laughs> like a phobia i'm like well if i bring yeah exactly like if i bring my rod up too far over my head i'm going to snag a tree there might not be a tree within 300 yards of me but i'll think that way yep. where if i'm side i feel very comfortable out the side because i'm like i know i'm not going to hit anything and most of my best casts have been from the side i think more people need to give so i don't cast full sidearm most of the time unless i'm trying to get underneath something but for me the natural the natural cast is about a 45 degree between straight up and uh full sidearm and i think and, and casting overhand, for the most part, feels a little too robotic to me. Like, I feel like I'm just going through the motions instead of feeling what, what feels right. And I feel like more people who are starting out um, would maybe benefit from giving those other uh, angles a try. Because I think, you know, they always talk about the overhand, like, 10 and 2 or 11 and 1, like, right overhead. And that's great when you're just starting and you need to bring your rod up, feel it load, and then bring it back down. But I think that might hinder some people who, like like me, it feels too unnatural to go straight up and straight back down. Um, so I'm glad you mentioned that because we don't. I don't hear about people casting uh, at different angles very often. Yeah, I always I always call that the must be nice the must be nice style because I don't ever have a, an opportunity in a river where I can open oh. up and have <laughs> this big over top cast. Like I just don't have that. So if I ever go out west and fish a big wide river that doesn't have much around it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look really weird because I don't know how to fish. Like, I didn't learn how to fish that way. I'm always working around obstacles and, uh, and like, trees and, and stuff like that and, you know, bridges and all kinds of crazy things. Like, in the water's just not that. Like, I, I'm using short leaders. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's just not a lot of room. So, so like, must be nice to not it, have trees overhead. Must be nice. Exactly. <laughs> must be nice to be able to wave your rod up in the air and look awesome and, and all, you know, you know, the majestic and all that and the poetry and the motion. Meanwhile, I'm just trying not to hit the stump. Yeah, I mean, so <laughs> I mean, and how many of your casts end up just being like a roll cast or just water loading it and oh, throwing it back out? <laughs> oh, yeah. I roll cast all the time. In fact, my buddy kind of taught me some really well. He's a he loves spay casting. So he he does a lot of you know spay type twirls and stuff he's really good at it just really short working both sides of the river stuff and he caught me he taught me a few basic like just ways to do that like creative roll casting and getting it to the other side and stuff like that and 
I probably learned, it probably took me longer to learn because he was teaching me how he knew and that's how he knew how to fish because he had been fishing in areas where you basically had to do that to fish because there's not enough room to do anything else. So I've got a bunch of weird habits I picked up where it's like partial space stuff and like, you know, I mean, I just like, you know, I'm kind of like a hybrid now, but some of the stuff I learned of that is actually, it's really good in Michigan, somewhere else it might not be. Right. Whatever Um, works. Yeah, I'd like, and I'm sure if somebody just small creek fished all the time, you know, with a really short rod and stuff like that, and learned how to fish that way, they'd look, they'd come into the rogue, and it would look way different to them too. It's funny how that first year shapes you so much, you know, based on where you fish. Same as like with a rod. I had I started out with a with a medium action rod, the the Cabela's Vector. I still have that rod. That's a that's a medium. It's it's a little bit slower, and. Because of that, I went to glass very well. I like, it wasn't a hard transition for me. I actually prefer that because I, the way that rod loads, it feels like a glass rod where if I try to fish, uh, somebody's like, you know, super fast action rod, you know, that's like a graphite, like a full graphite. Um, I have a really hard time with it. Interesting. Because just the way, yeah, the way I learned how to fish, I have a hard time making that rod load. I don't know why. It's just probably just because I've always had a slower rod and I, and I really let it, I really got to make it in my head. I got to really tell myself to let it hang back there a little bit longer than I think I need to. And I just don't feel it, you know, not a faster rod, but I'm getting there. You know, I'm, I'm probably correcting a lot of mistakes at this point. Yeah. And I feel like you're, you <laughs> but, might be working in the easier direction. Cause I feel like it, I, it might be easier to go from something that really requires that extra, you know, waiting for that slower rod to load um, going to faster. I feel like so many people coming from graphite rods, it's, it feels like a completely foreign object when they pick up a glass and it's like, it feels like you're waving around a wet noodle. Oh yeah. And I love that feeling. Like, I think, I think, well, it's, it's pretty powerful, of course, for me. I pretty much do yeah, everything backwards this seems from everybody else. Typical you to go for the, go for the thing that everyone else is working toward. <laughs> I'm super, I'm super surprised. I didn't just jump into a bamboo rod right away and be like, well, I'm going to build a bamboo rod and I'm going to fish with it <laughs> because that's, you know, and it's just kind of my thing, but I think it was just challenging enough where I was like, no, I don't need to go any further with this. This is fine. But yeah, I mean, everybody's built differently. Everybody fishes differently. And I I mean, I've never seen two people cast the same. So yeah, at the end (laughs) of the day, it's, it's, I mean, it's whatever feels comfortable for you. I mean, people can do things that are technically incorrect. If you were to watch like a casting video and they'll still make their fly, you know, cast twice as far as I can. So um, at the end of the day, it's whatever, whatever you can make work, you know, go for it. Yeah, I mean, all pitchers are taught the same kind of wind-up and know what a wind-up is and, and the best way to, to throw a baseball, but look how many, there no two pitchers throw the yep, same. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you just, you're just not built the same, and I think, you know, I see that a lot in bow hunting. I have a really hard time telling people how they should do something because it works for me. Um, I had a lot of that at the beginning of anything I've ever done. People do that, uh, bow hunting especially, and it's like, look, I'm not you. And you're not me. It ain't going to work for you the same way. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and tell you how to do it. You know, tell you how you should do it. I can tell you how I do it and I can offer that up, but I'm not going to show you or tell you that that's the way to do it. I agree. I find when I'm telling people what to do, I generally say things like, I find that, you know, when I do this, this happens. Or, you know, when I do this, it feels more comfortable. Just so I'm very clearly stating, you know, just so you know, I think this is probably what you need to do, but you might hear differently from somebody and you don't necessarily need to get into an argument with them about what's the right way to do it. 
Oh, totally. I had the, I had a great bow hunting mentor mentor for the longbow when I first started out. Um, we called him his nickname's Bullseye, and he was always at the range when I started shooting, and and we became friends. And whenever I'd shoot, he'd never try to teach me anything. But whenever I'd shoot and I'd have a bad shot, he'd go, mm-hmm. <laughs> "Oh no!" And he wouldn't. That's all he'd do. That's all he'd do. And I would just sit there and be like, he'd wait for me to ask him. I'd be like, "Bill, what I do wrong in that shot?" And then he would tell me, but. I, he never would offer that up. And he's like, well, you don't shoot the same as me. So if you ask me, I'll tell you. Otherwise, you know, that was his whole thing. But yeah, I always just remembered that. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm not mad. Man, I'm just I disappointed. It's, it's almost yeah, worse. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was like fun. It's like, yeah, I knew that was going to happen, but I didn't tell you because I figured you'd figure it out yeah. anyway. So <laughs> yeah, anyway. Uh, well, Nick, but yeah. I uh, I was going to ask you for your last um, funny story that you had mentioned. If you want to tell it, I'm I'm more than happy to listen, but I know it's getting late where you are. So uh, if you'd like to wrap it up soon, maybe we can save it for another time and and come back on and just maybe tell some funny stories. I think we should save it for another okay. time. I think we should do that because honestly, that that one event is based on a whole my first trout camp fishing trip, and so much happened in that okay. trip. I don't think I can. I think you'd go another half an hour with the way I talk. Yeah, that's what I was worried about. <laughs> Not in a bad way, but I was like, I feel like if we get into one more story, it's going to be another three stories, and then we might be going all night. So. Well, we didn't think we were going to get into such a riveting social media and content conversation at the beginning. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I know, um, so you're, you're actually going to be the episode right behind Steve. So everyone has already heard about the Traditional Outdoors podcast, but go ahead and, you know, I'm sure after this and Steve, people are going to be like, I really want to hear these two guys talk together because these are such different conversations. Um, so maybe just remind people where they can find your podcast and your um, blogs specifically separate from the podcast. Sure. Um, you can find the Traditional Outdoors podcast at traditionaloutdoors.com. We also have a Facebook community. Just look up tra- uh, Traditional Outdoors community and we should pop right up. And that's actually gaining a lot of a lot of steam. A lot of people are joining, a lot of great conversations. Um, and it's not too big yet where it's getting to the point where, okay, it's getting ridiculous. It's, 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 uh, it's a really nice group um, of people who like to share all kinds of things outdoor-related. Um, and again, that's just the just traditional outdoors. And my blog is actually called Life and Longbows. It's lifeandlongbows.com. Um, I wrote a book of the same name in uh, 2018 that's just called Life and Longbows. And you can get that there if you're interested in any of my bow hunting stories. But I'm also um, in the process of right now writing my second book. And I got a fishing book coming too. I'm kind of I'm kind of working in two at the same time. And the 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 fly fishing one, my the the first book, Life and Longbows, is a lot about me just as a beginner fumbling my way through learning how to bow hunt. Um, and it's all short stories. And I want to do the same with fly fishing. I just got to get a little more mileage under my belt and a few more stories to finish that one off. But uh, I'm working on that one too. And. Uh, you know, I'll probably talk more about it on the show. So, you know, stay tuned to Traditional Outdoors um, and check us out. And uh, we're also uh, we're also on Instagram. And we don't really do a whole lot on Twitter, but you can find us on Instagram and Facebook mainly. That's where our audience is. Perfect. Uh, and that's just tra- Traditional Outdoors um, both places. And thank you so much, Katie, for having me on. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, this is this is a fun chat. I like these ones that are just, you know, you just go on about whatever comes up. Um, these are probably some of my favorite ones. So. I, I really appreciate you coming on. We'll have to come back and uh, and talk about some of those stories that you had mentioned because um, I get the impression that your funny stories are probably on the funnier side of funny stories. <laughs> oh, yeah, they are. <laughs> they're, they're, 
in fact, you know, I'm getting to the point now where all my friends are just not going to want to do anything with me anymore because <laughs> they know I'm just watching them and whatever I whatever happens is going into a book or a blog post at Uh-oh. some point. And it's told from my perspective and whatever I say happened, it happened. You should start giving them the old mm-hmm every time they do something. <laughs> I should. I should, but it's usually me that's the that's the butt of the joke. So, Uh-oh. yeah. All right, Nick. Well, I'll, I'll let you get going. I know it's late on uh, on the East Coast there, but um, thanks so much for coming on. And um, we can hang around a couple minutes afterward just to, to chat. But um, really appreciate you coming on and, and hope to talk to you again soon. Okay, thank you. All right, and that is all. As always, if you liked what you heard, I'd love for you to go over to Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to podcasts and subscribe there. Uh, if you've got a couple extra minutes, a rating or review would also be much appreciated. It doesn't take too long, and it makes a big difference on my end. You can also find all my episodes on fishuntamed.com, in addition to fly fishing articles every two weeks. And you can find me on social media under my name, Katie Burgert, on Go Wild or at Fish Untamed on Instagram. And I will see you all back here in two weeks. Bye, everyone.